Mountain Town by Ivory Harlow. Julie and I knew their bungalow seemed enormous when Julie returned home alone. Dylan's vacancy made Julie feel downhearted. Since they lived 1,600 miles apart, Joe and Julie's custody agreement stipulated that their son spend the school year with Julie in spring, winter, and summer breaks with Joe. Though she'd put Dylan on the plane to West Virginia dozens of times over the years, it never got easier to let him go. Julie set her keys on the counter and walked towards Dylan's room. The door was ajar. She peeked inside. He kicked the sheets to the end of the bed, and his dirty socks lay crumpled on the floor. Julie sighed as she picked them up. She missed him already. Julie could not believe five years had passed since she'd escaped. The memories of Joe, the abuse, still nauseated her. She could taste the metallic blood and feel the soreness of the bumps and bruises he inflicted on her. He had never hurt Dylan, and she prayed he never would. Still, knowing what Joe was capable of, it was impossible for a mother not to worry. Julie jolted awake when she heard Joe slam the truck door. She lay in their bed, pretending to be asleep, until she heard him back out of the driveway and leave for the police department. He was on 10-hour day shifts this week. The clock was ticking. She struggled to sit up in bed. Her entire side was sore, and even in the darkness of the bedroom with the curtains drawn, she could see her arm was severely bruised. She eased herself out of bed. She had to get moving. Her life depended on it. The last time Joe beat her, she warned him she'd leave with Dylan if it happened again. I might not be strong enough to leave for me, Joe, but I'm strong enough to leave for our boy? I lost control, Jules. I'm sorry, Joe pleaded. Our son is seven. Is this how you want him to grow up? Watching his dad beat up his mom, Julie scolded. Cool tears trickled from her hot, swollen eye. I never want to hurt you or for Dylan to see me hurt you. I don't want to be that kind of husband or dad. I know it's wrong. I'm sorry. Julie met Joe at a bar in Beckley eight years ago. She was in a 10-to-month certified nursing assistant program at Valley College. Her classmates invited her out to the bar after a grueling exam Joe was out with drinking buddies from the police academy. They struck up a conversation, hit it off, and started dating. Six months later, Julie discovered she was pregnant. Joe suggested they move in together. His response surprised her. Joe didn't seem interested in a long-term relationship before she announced she was pregnant. He wanted to be a West Virginia State Trooper. Accepting a position with the West Virginia State Police meant Joe would have to move wherever assigned. He was upfront that his residency in Beckley was temporary. She understood that meant she was temporary too. She had no hard feelings about it. Julie liked Joe well enough, but she didn't love him. Plus, she had her own plans for the future that didn't include him. 1. Graduate with her CNA certificate. 2. Pass the CNA exam. 3. Start work at White Pines Assisted Living Facility in Beckley. Her Aunt Linda was the nurse manager at White Pines and offered to refer Julie to the hiring manager. Julie's pregnancy derailed both of their plans for the future Joe graduated from the academy and accepted a job with the City of Hope Police Department, 
a small town 24 miles from Beckley. Julie graduated from the CNA program and moved into a small house in the City of Hope that Joe rented for the growing family. They celebrated Julie entering her third trimester by eloping at the Raleigh County Courthouse. Julie noticed Joe's mood swings early in their relationship. Relaxed shoulders indicated he was in a chipper, chatty mood. A furrowed brow and pursed lip were signs she should stay away. Quick steps and rapid hand gestures meant his anger was boiling and bound to spill over before he cooled down. Joe never laid a hand on her while he was pregnant. In retrospect, Julie wondered if it was because she was pregnant or because their relationship was new. Julie struggled with postpartum depression when Dylan was born. Mom life felt like a chore she wasn't up for. However, her sense of duty to care for her newborn son compelled her to ensure she met his needs. She didn't feel the same obligation to care for herself, or the house Joe stomped through the house in a rage when he returned home from work to a sink of dirty dishes, piles of laundry, and his wife still wearing pajama pants. You don't know how hard it is Julie didn't talk to her old friends anymore. Living in hope meant living away from her family and friends. The friendships she tried to maintain, primarily via text, fell short. She didn't have much in common now that she was married and had a baby. It's hard to get out of bed and brush your hair in the morning Joe mocked her. You've never had an actual job? I know how hard it is to get out of bed, go to work and pay our bills every day while my wife sits on her ass. You have nothing to complain about. He'd never given birth Julie could count on one hand the number of times he had changed Dylan's diaper. But the most triggering part of his comment was the true part Julie had never had a proper job. She started the CN, a program, right after high school Julie moved out of her mother's house and into Joe's. She'd never paid a bill. She didn't even know what bills they had, just that Joe put money in the account for her to buy food and stuff for the house. As time went by Joe's moodiness turned into meanness. One evening after work Julie heard him stomping around the kitchen. She did her best to ignore it, increasing the volume of her favorite show, the Bachelor. A few minutes later, she felt him staring her down from the kitchen doorway. There is nothing to eat in this house, he complained. You should have stopped and gotten something on your way home, Julie said without taking her eyes off the screen. Joe lunged at her, pushing her off the couch and tackled her to the floor. He straddled her. Why? He struck her face. She tried to bring up her arms to shield herself from further assault. He pinned them down. Julie tried kicking free, but he was too heavy and overpowered her. Maybe, instead of sitting on your ass, get up and make something. He shouted. Blood trickled from her nose, tears streamed down her face. She couldn't wipe away either. You're disgusting, Joe said. He released her arms, stood up, and calmly walked out the door. It was the first time Joe beat her, but not the last. The third? Julie endured seven years of verbal and physical abuse before she gave Joe an ultimatum. This is the last time Joe or Dylan and I are gone.
He was a five-star dad and husband for three weeks before the final beating happened. It was Dylan's first game playing tackle football. The team consisted of six to eight-year-olds, but Dylan was small for his age. During the second quarter, a bigger boy knocked the wind out of him. Dylan limped off the field and refused to play the rest of the game. You're an embarrassment to yourself and to your family, Joe reprimanded him on the ride home. You've got to toughen up if you want to be on the team. I don't want to be on the team, Dylan shouted from the back seat. Julie cringed. Talking back to his father did not bode well. What did you say? Joe glared at him in the rearview mirror. I don't want to be on the team, Dylan repeated. Softer this time. So you want to be a quitter, Joe shamed him. Joe? What, Jules? I'm just curious if our son wants to be a quitter. Julie shifted her body in the passenger seat to look back at Dylan. His eyes pleaded with her. They both knew there was no correct answer, so Dylan didn't answer at all. You can walk home, quitter. He spat at Dylan. Joe, he's just a kid. Better get used to walking on the side of the road, kid. Like the quitter you are. Julie started. Not now, Julie. I mean it, Dylan. Get out. He turned to render the final judgment on Dylan. Dylan fumbled with his seatbelt. This is really happening, Julie thought, and unclipped her seatbelt, too. Where do you think you're going, Joe asked accusingly. He's seven, Joe. He can't walk home by himself. I'm walking with him. Suit yourself, Joe said with nonchalance. Joe would let her go now and make her pay for it later. Nevertheless, Julie could never forgive herself if something happened to Dylan, and what kind of parent would she be if she abandoned him to walk home afraid and alone? Joe left them on the side of the road, kicking up gravel as he sped away. How much further? Dylan asked. They'd been walking for minutes. Dylan was already dragging his feet. We've walked about a mile. I'd say we have three more to go. Gas station is about halfway. I'll buy you a blue Gatorade Dylan perked up at the mention of his favorite drink and picked up his pace. Two and a half hours later, Julie carried the empty bottle into the house. Joe watched as she tossed it in the trash. Dylan dutifully retreated to his room, careful not to make eye contact and keep a distance as he passed his dad in the doorway. What is that? Joe asked Julie, pointing at the empty bottle in the bin. Gatorade. You think he deserved Gatorade? It was a long walk, Dylan needed a drink. It ain't a long walk, Joe huffed. It is when you are seven, Julie countered. Joe pushed Julie against the refrigerator. Your mothering will turn him into an entitled brat. One freeloader is too many in this house, Joe said, implying she was the one. I'm trying to raise someone who pulls their weight. Someone less like you and more like me. The last thing I want is for him to be more like you, she shouted. She couldn't help herself. Joe grabbed her arm and hurled her across the room. She stumbled into the kitchen table and then landed hard on the linoleum. He pulled her to her feet and dragged her into the living room. Dylan emerged from his room. Please don't hurt mom. 
It's my fault? Please. Dad Dylan took his mother's hand and begged her to safety in his room. When that didn't work, he charged Joe, waving his fists wildly. Stay out of this, Joe shouted at him. The command caused Dylan to step back, and then, in an attempt to save his mother, he wrapped his entire body around her so that there was no way Joe could hit her without hitting him. Joe released Julie and staggered out the front door, slamming it behind him. That night, Dylan cried himself to sleep. Julie lay in bed but did not sleep. She rehearsed her plan for tomorrow. Around a.m., Joe came home and passed out on the couch. At a.m., she heard him wake, shower, and leave for work. No school today, sleepyhead Julie sat on the side of Dylan's bed and rubbed his back until he opened his eyes. They were big and brown, with long eyelashes. He looked just like Joe. She always thought it was unfair that she contributed 50% to Dylan's genetics and carried him for nine months in her body. And yet Dylan looked nothing like her. Julie had a petite frame, fine blonde hair, and green eyes. Joe was six foot two, with an athletic build, dark brown hair, and eyes to match. Why don't I have to go to school? Dylan's eyes shot open. Cause we are going on a trip today. All of us. He asked Julie could tell he was thinking about last night, and their current standing with his dad. No, just you and me, Julie was careful with her words. Despite his shortcomings, Joe was and will always be Dylan's dad. Where are we going? How about you take a bath while I pack Julie redirected? Okay. He sprung out of bed, eager for an adventure. Julie packed Dylan's things first. Clothes, socks, underwear, and a handheld game console. She tucked a folder containing their personal identification docs, birth certificates, social security cards, and marriage license. She topped off the suitcase with a few clothing items for herself. Julie set a bowl of Fruit Loops on the table for Dylan. She took a shower while he ate. So far, fall had been warm enough to wear a tank top, but Julie layered a long-sleeved denim shirt over her tank to hide the bruises from last night. Ready to go. Yes, Mom Dylan stood at the kitchen sink, rinsing his cereal bowl. He placed it in the dishwasher on the top shelf at an angle, as Joe had instructed him. He is always on edge to please his father, Julie thought, even as we leave him. Julie put the suitcase in the trunk of the old sedan before she opened the garage door. She didn't want to tip off nosy neighbors that something was up. A half hour later, Julie parked the car at a busy strip mall in Beckley. Are you buying a new cell phone? Dylan recognized the T-Mobile sign on the side of the building. No, honey. We are just parking the car here. Then we will walk. Not again, Dylan complained. Don't worry, it isn't nearly as long a walk as yesterday. Aside from the car being titled to and registered in Joe's name as a police officer, he had access to national databases that could locate the vehicle anywhere she drove it in the United States. Joe also managed their mobile phone family plan. He could easily use it to track her. To avoid this, Julie left both abandoned in the strip mall parking lot in Beckley. 
Next, she and Dylan rolled their suitcase to a freestanding at the moment in the parking lot Joe also controlled the bank accounts and could see all transactions with locations using the mobile bank app. It was cash only from here on out. The checking account balance was $1,224.74. Julie made multiple transactions to withdraw $1,000. $220 and the maximum $500 cash advance from their credit card. She stuffed the money in an envelope, put it in her purse, and tossed the cards in a nearby trash can. Julie and Dylan walked a few blocks to the bus stop and waited for the Red Route bus. The River Rider transported them from the strip mall to the Greyhound bus depot in downtown Beckley. When they arrived, a smiling black woman motioned them towards the station's sole service window. Oh, young man, the woman addressed Dylan first. Where are you traveling today? Dylan looked at his mother, unsure. He did not know where they were going. We are going on a trip, he said, knowing at least that much was true. Sounds fun. What's your name? My name is Dylan. I'm in second grade. The woman smiled sweetly. My name is Rita. I'm... Julie hated to rush their interaction, but she was anxious. She wanted to get as far away from Beckley as possible as soon as possible. Before Joe had time to locate the car, her phone, or the location of the bank withdrawal, those things were like breadcrumbs Joe could and would follow to find them, and there was no telling what he'd do if he did. Rita, what time does the next Greyhound leave the depot? Julie asked. In eight minutes. Its first stop is Nashville, Tennessee, and how far does the route go? Let me check Rita tapped the keyboard. You can ride that bus all the way to Dallas, Texas. The total fee, one adult and one child, is $245.38. Julie reached into her purse and discreetly took $260 cash from the envelope. One way only Rita inquired Julie nodded. She looked at Dylan. Enormous, shiny silver buses pulling in and out of the station distracted him from their conversation. Julie knew he would question where they were going, why they were leaving, and if he would ever see his dad again. I can send digital boarding passes to your cell phone for free. Otherwise, there is a $2 ticketing fee per person. I prefer paper, thanks Julie said and handed back a $5 bill from the change Rita gave her. All set. That one is your bus Rita pointed to a long charter. Roll your luggage over to the loader man. He'll take care of the rest. Have fun on your adventure, sweetie Rita waved at Dylan from behind the glass. Ivy? The bus routed through Knoxville. It had been years since Julie traveled. She forgot how beautiful western Tennessee was. Your grandpa and grandma took us on vacation to the Smokies when I was your age, Julie told Dylan. This is the Smokies, Dylan pressed his face to the window. Yes, the Great Smoky Mountains. We'll pass through Pigeon Forge. My family rented a cabin and spent a day at Dollywood, the best amusement park in the South. Can we go there, Mom? I love amusement parks. Not this time. This bus goes all the way to Dallas, Texas. 
Dylan sulked for a second, then pulled out his Nintendo and became engrossed in Minecraft. Julie enjoyed the mountain scenery through the tall bus window. She noticed the fall colors were showiest at higher elevations and became muted as the elevation declined. She could identify a few trees, yellow birch, bronze American beech, and red mountain maples, by the color of their leaves. I'd like to live in the mountains, Julie thought. Not these mountains, these mountains were too close to trouble, but somewhere in the mountains. Julie saw chimney smoke rising from the hills in the distance. She fantasized about having a little home in the mountains. It was the first time she allowed herself to imagine a life beyond Beckley. They got off the bus in downtown Dallas, surrounded by skyscrapers, hotels, and bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic. The population of Dallas was equal to the population of the entire state of West Virginia. Julie had never been to a city so big Dylan watched the giant screen of rotating electronic advertisements while they waited for their suitcase. Howdy folks, this is Big Tex. Visit the State Fair of Texas for rides. Fun? Shows? A lanky cartoon cowboy wearing a 10-gallon hat said on screen. Mom, look! He pointed at Big Tex, rides, fun, and shows. Can we go to the fair? The last thing she wanted to do after a long bus ride was spend a day at a stinky fairground, but Dylan did not fuss about missing Dollywood, and a day at the fair would buy her some time to plan their next move. How about tonight we find a good meal and a clean hotel, and tomorrow we go to the fair Julie compromised? Yeah, Dylan cheered. She retrieved their luggage and hailed a cab. Can you recommend an affordable hotel near the fairgrounds? Sure can. I know of one a few blocks from the fairgrounds. It even has a pool for the kiddo, the man said with a wink. After checking into their room, they walked across the street to a waffle house. Julie ordered a hash brown bowl. Dylan ordered a cheeseburger and fries from the kids' menu. Mom, will we ever see Dad again? Dylan asked while they waited for their meals. Julie knew the conversation was coming and stewed over what to say when it did. She decided the best approach was to tell him the truth without being abject about his dad. Do you understand why we had to leave Dylan? Because dad hurts you. Because it's not safe to see dad right now. Dylan nodded. The look in his eyes made him appear much older than seven. He'd seen a lot. Are we going to live in Dallas now? He asked. Julie calculated the money she'd spent on bus fare, cab, hotel, and food. She had $1,300 left. Not much to start a new life. She had to be scrappy with the money. No, she made a split-second decision. We'll get back on the road after the fair tomorrow. It was the last day of the fair. That, coupled with a perfect sunny 74-degree temperature, brought out the crowds. Dylan was most excited about the midway, so they rode rides first. They took the Texas Skyway tram for a bird's-eye view of the 277-acre fairgrounds. They rode the Ferris wheel and bumper boats, then ate brisket sandwiches for lunch. The rodeo started at 2 p.m. After watching Junior Bull riding, Dylan proclaimed he wanted to be a cowboy. They walked through the livestock barn to see the grand champion Texas Longhorn. Dylan counted 14 other breeds of cattle, nine species of sheep, and a half dozen goat breeds. 
It tuckered Dylan out by the afternoon. Vendors were eager to wrap up their last sales of the day. Julie spotted a concession trailer shaded by a cluster of cottonwoods. An older man stood on a stepladder to roll up the awning. Sure are. He smiled at Julie and tapped on the glass. A short woman wearing a red and white striped apron appeared at the window. What can I get for you, honey? Dylan? Julie called at him. He was standing on the curb watching police on horseback pass. Do you want to split cotton candy or a caramel apple? I should have guessed Julie pulled a fresh $5 from the envelope in her purse. The woman handed her a wispy cone of pink and blue cotton candy and a caramel apple rolled in nuts. That's what I really wanted, Julie admitted. Let me pay you for it. No need, dear. It's the last day of the fair. You're doing us a favor by taking it. We don't need to haul food nine hours home. Where are you from, Julie asked, as she offered the first bite of apple to Dylan. Mountain Town, the man piped in. We live in a motorhome in the summer and do the fair circuit. We've been all over Texas this season, from the Panhandle to the Brazos Valley to the Rio Grande. I'm ready to be home, the woman said with a sign of relief. Munhal, and this is my wife Norma. Where y'all from? We're from West Virginia, Julie said. We rode a bus all the way to Dallas, Dylan divulged. We are leaving tonight too. But we ain't going home. Where are you headed? Young man Hal asked. Dylan looked at Julie with heightened awareness that he may have given the strangers too much information already. We aren't sure Julie intervened. We kind of left West Virginia in a hurry. As the day warmed, Julie tied her long-sleeved shirt around her waist. Though her bruises had faded to yellow, the discolorations were still visible. Julie noticed Norma surveying the marks on her arms and neck, then exchanged a knowing look with Hal. I'm not as young and strong as I used to be, Hal could surely use your help with those awnings, young man. Norma said. I can help, Dylan offered. I learned how to tie a knot in Boy Scouts when I was about your age, Dylan. Let me show you how... Norma turned to Julie. Let's visit under the tree while the boys prep the trailer, she said, motioning towards a picnic table. I'll pour us a couple of lemonades. A warm afternoon breeze circulated the smell of fried food, dust, and sunscreen around the fairgrounds. This is my favorite spot on the fairgrounds Norma shared. Sometimes we eat our supper here before returning to the motorhome at night. It is a peaceful place among chaos, Julie agreed. A silent moment passed. Then Norma said, Dear, it's none of my business and you can tell me to butt out. But those bruises remind me of someone I loved very much. When she passed away, I made a promise that if I saw marks like that again, I would speak my mind. Norma's tone was firm, yet sympathetic Julie teared up. She was so focused on getting away that she hadn't thought about the abuse they were getting away from. It's okay. Honey Norma patted her knee. You're safe now, Dylan is safe. Julie pulled up the collar of her top to dab her eyes dry. Our daughter Grace was smart as a whip, and boy, was she a beauty. Then Norma's smile faded. She fell in love with a dangerous man, Hal, and I suspected he didn't treat her right, but she shrugged off our concerns when I tried to talk to her about him. 
said she loved the man. One day, he got a job transfer to California, and she said she was going with him. She wanted us to be happy for her. When we tried to convince her not to go, she scolded us for treating her like a child and that we didn't know what was best for her. What happened? Well, I was afraid she'd cut us out of her life if I continued to protest. She went. It pained Norma to say. She swallowed the lump in her throat. The last time he beat her, she suffered a head trauma that caused a brain hemorrhage. The doctors kept Grace on life support long enough for Hal and I to fly to California and say goodbye. I am so sorry for her pain and your loss, Julie said. Roles reversed as Julie patted Norma on the hands to comfort her. We are too. Every day. She gave Julie a weak smile. It happened nearly 20 years ago. Ever since Hal and I have had a special place in our hearts to help victims of domestic violence. We volunteer with the local crisis center and the food bank and provide respite services for abused women. That's very kind, Julie said. It's healing, Norma said, placing her hand over her heart. It's how we make peace with the past. She paused and said, Julie, we can help you if you let us. Julie took a deep breath. She was afraid to trust anyone let alone people she just met. But Julie had to be realistic. She'd relied on instinct and determination to get this far, but needed to figure out what to do next. Given their experience helping victims of domestic violence, Hal and Norma knew better than she did. Julie looked over at Dylan. He was following Hal around the trailer, carrying a small toolbox, delighted to be of service. She turned to Norma and said, I don't feel safe in Dallas, and I don't think it's the right place to raise Dylan. He's a small-town country kid. It would be a big change. There might be more resources here, more opportunities for me to find work. But my gut tells me it isn't right. Is that ridiculous? Not ridiculous at all. That feeling in your gut is maternal instinct. You gotta trust it, Norma reassured her. I have a little money. Not a lot but enough to keep us fed and sheltered until we find the right place to put down roots. I think the next thing to do is find a place Dylan can thrive, I can find work, and we can build a new life. Julie said. Norma's eyes lit up. I know just the place. A little further Julie directed Hal to back the motorhome to hitch the food trailer Dylan looked out the back window, waving and making funny faces at Norma. Norma invited Julie and Dylan to return to Mountain Town with them. We live in a small cabin, but we have a huge pole barn we can park the motorhome in over the winter. Hal can hook up electricity and water, and y'all are welcome to stay as long as you need. Julie was at a loss for words. An hour earlier Hal and Norma were strangers. Now they'd invited them into their home and lives. Think of us as family Hal encouraged her. The drive from Dallas to Mountain Town took eight hours. This is way better than the bus Dylan said as he assembled a puzzle with Norma at the dinette booth. It was pitch black by the time they reached Mountain Town. Julie only knew they'd arrived when Hal announced, Home, sweet home. As he drove into town, the motorhome headlights illuminated two signs. One read, Welcome to Mountain Town and showcased various local organizations. 
HFFA, American Legion, Rotary, etc. The other displayed Mountain Town Pop. 3. 235. It took another 20 minutes before they pulled onto Hal and Norma's property. A long gravel driveway took them back 10 acres. This area is part of the largest dark sky certified place in the world, Norma said, as Julie strained her eyes to see her feet. There were a shocking number of stars in the sky. Julie realized that even in rural West Virginia, she had only seen a fraction of what was there. The night air was cool and clear. She felt the starlight kiss her forehead. Like Julie's future, the universe was a mystery. At that moment, she was not afraid of the unknown. She relished feeling small, safe, and held by the great mystery of life. Dylan stumbled out of the motorhome, rubbing sleep from his eyes. He slept through the last leg of their journey. Julie didn't blame him. She was physically and emotionally exhausted from the previous few days. Why don't y'all stay in the house tonight, Hal suggested. Tomorrow, Dylan and I will hook up the electricity and water. Hal carried a flashlight to guide them from the barn to the house. Hold this for me, buddy, he instructed Dylan to shine the light on the lock. He unlocked the door, pushed it open, and wrapped his hand around the doorframe to flip on the lights. It's good to be home, Norma proclaimed, and bounded inside. Hal motioned for Julie and Dylan to follow. They stepped into a cozy living room with oversized recliners. One had a knitted afghan draped over the back, the other was camouflage. A giant flat-screen TV hung on the wall, a split-level stairway led to a loft. The kitchen and eat-in dining room were to the left. Beyond that, a short hallway led to the bathroom and the cabin's sole bedroom. I'll make up cots in the loft. Norma retrieved spare linens from a closet while Hal set two cots side by side. It'll be a tight squeeze tonight, Norma said as she unrolled quilts on the cots for extra padding. But you'll have the whole motorhome to yourselves tomorrow night. Before she could reassure Norma that the arrangement suited them, Hal came up the stairs, suitcase in tow. Thank you both again, Julie said, for everything. It's our pleasure. Dylan was already sprawled out on a cot. Hal patted his shoulder. See you in the morning, buddy, he whispered. Julie didn't bother waking Dylan to change out of his clothes and brush his teeth. She unfolded the bed Norma made for her and slipped inside. She pulled the quilt to her face, breathing in the flowery detergent smell. Julie lay on her side, watching her son sleeping soundly. She soothed into sleep, telling herself, You did it. You escaped. You're safe now. You're stronger than you think. The smell of coffee and syrup wafted into the loft. Julie rolled onto her side and looked at the cot next to hers. Dylan was gone. Fear compelled her to jump to her feet before recalling they were safe and sound in Hal and Norma's home. Julie descended the stairs, Dylan sat cross-legged in Norma's recliner. Wrapped in the knitted blanket Hal sat his. They were watching cartoons. She smiled. Oh, hey, Mom. You missed pancakes. I am happy to make more Norma called from the kitchen. She was at the sink doing dishes. An antique cuckoo clock on the wall showed it was nearly 10 a.m.
Thank you for the offer Norma, but a cup of coffee is all I need to feel content in the world right now. There is plenty of that. I only drink tea these days Hal has two cups, and I pour the rest down the drain Norma handed Julie a large mug and pointed to an electric percolator on the counter. Sorry that I slept late Julie said, savoring her first sip of coffee. I'm just glad you are comfortable Norma replied. Hal came into the kitchen to refill his cup. How about coffee on the deck? He motioned towards the door. Julie stepped out the door onto an expansive wraparound deck. She had not noticed in the dark last night. The light of day revealed mountains surrounded the little log home. How high up are we? She asked Hal. Just over 5,000 feet. A few rooftops dotted the landscape. Are those your nearest neighbors? Julie asked in awe. Yes. We live on about acres. Madia and her husband live in that one yonder. Hal pointed to the closest home. Cooper family lives in that two-story. He's a game warden. He's got boys around Dylan's age. That house is the Walters Rob has an auto repair shop. All of them make fine neighbors. Well, it's certainly a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Julie breathed in clean mountain air. It smelled like soil and cedar. Y'all are welcome to stay here as long as you want and need Hal put his hand on Julie's shoulder. I cannot thank you enough, Julie said with sincerity. Dylan really likes you. You are such an excellent role model for him, right now, especially. There is a saying about the sins of the father being inherited by the son. I worry his father made a terrible impression at an age that Dylan is, well, impressionable. There isn't a parent on earth that doesn't worry that they didn't do right by their child, Hal reassured her. Grace has been gone nearly twenty years and I still stew over what I could have, should have, done differently. Grace was a sweet girl, not a fighting bone in her body, much like her mother. If I taught her to stand up for herself, she might have had the strength and courage to leave him. I know that I might have done everything right. And the outcome would be the same. You keep doing the best you can with that good boy of yours, and he will become a good man. He will know his mother tried her darndest to do right by him. Norma joined Hal and Julie on the deck, waving the cordless phone. I hope you don't mind, Julie. I made some plans for the afternoon. I thought we'd go to Mountain Town Elementary to pick up the enrollment paperwork for Dylan. Then I called Doc Shannon, a friend at the Regional Medical Center. I told her you're a certified nursing assistant looking for work. She asked us to stop by the hospital, have lunch in the cafeteria, and discuss an employment opportunity. Norma's voice grew excited. Can't believe it, Julie swooned. Thank you. As if reading her mind, Hal said, Sometimes you don't know if you're coming or going, but if you head in the direction that feels right and have faith that everything will be all right, things fall into place. VA Cheers to a new year, new home, and your new life. A toast to Julie and Dylan. Julie invited Hal and Norma, Dr. Shannon, a handful of new co-worker friends and their spouses to a New Year's housewarming party. She and Dylan had just moved into a two-bedroom bungalow in downtown Mountain Town. She bought the house from Raya Riley. They'd become fast friends. She invited Raya to the gathering as well and to bring Chloe. 
Chloe's little girl dressed in a gingerbread cookie outfit. Even Dylan cooed over baby Luna's cuteness. Just four months after leaving a dire situation in West Virginia, Julie was standing in her home, surrounded by people who loved, supported, and were cheering her on. She looked at Dylan. He shook a plush toy rattle for the baby to get her to smile. She was doing great in his new school and loved spending weekends hunting and tinkering with Hal at the cabin. He had even asked Julie to sign him up for baseball in the spring. All my new friends play baseball, he informed her. At the stroke of midnight, Julie, Dylan, and their new friends raised their voices and sang, Should old acquaintance be forgot? And never brought to mind? Should old acquaintance be forgot?